Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday Celebration from the Center for Spiritual Living in Huntsville, Alabama. We hope you feel the grace, the beauty, and the love of our community as you hear the message of the week. talks about mindful awareness. That is stepping away from patterns of thought and aligning to the breath within the breath where we find an awareness. And it says in Buddhism, awareness is the Lord of everything. So when this awareness begins to awaken within us, well, then we meet life not as... Um, some kind of consequence or punishment for aberrant behavior. We meet life in a grateful sort of way because life is showing us where we might be blocked. Life is showing us where we might mm, experience frustration and anxiety. And when we open to those frustrating, anxious moments, there is something within us that awakens. I was reading Meister Eckhart this morning, and Meister Eckhart said, let go and continue to let go. You figure out what it is you need to let go of. And then he says, and let God be God in you. I might say that last phrase again. Let God be God in you. And so when the local self steps out of the way, there is this divine presence within us that can flower. My prayer partner this morning was sharing with me, he's speaking. And when he started his ministry in 1990, he's opened every talk with four basic noble truths that he lives by. The first one is that all there is is God. Second one is, is that we're all spiritual beings and we, as humans, are having a human experience. The third essential truth is that nothing in your life needs to change on the outside for you to be okay on the inside. That's a big one to swallow. And then the fourth noble truth is that we're all here walking each other home. So then we smile. Because you guys walk me home every Sunday. When I listen to this revealing service, I stand in awe. My beloved brother Phil did an awesome treatment and align me to source. So I want to deeply thank him for resourcing me. And what if we knew that we were all here to assist each other? Sometimes a hug is sufficient or an acknowledgement that I see you and you have value and I acknowledge your importance on this planet. Something as simple as that is transformational. And so we open this Sunday morning to receive the gift, the grace, the God, that each one of us needs to mm, resonate with, that will assist us in assuming the consciousness that's required for us to journey in this beautiful thing called life, knowing that life is here for us. And so with that realization, 
we open to the mystery of belonging to the universe. And I invite you to open your eyes and be here now with me. I'm doing a strange thing, and it always annoys me when the universe starts to work on me, but I guess i got to get used to it because I've been doing it for 34 years. I chose to speak about this month living in and as the mystery. Well, that's kind of a big thing to swallow, Phil, living in and as the mystery, because it's all the great mystery. The indigenous people call it the great mystery. So what if it's not something simple that we've, you know, given ourselves a formula? It's supposed to look this way, spirituality. What if we could know it's the great mystery and we can't even begin to understand it with this little local mind of ours? We're teaching this lovely class that I just love. I know it's pissing a lot of people off, but that's good because we do need to be irritated every now and then because that's how we grow. And it's called Everything Belongs. Everything? You mean all the doo-doo in life belongs? Yup, the doo-doo, because there's a pony in there somewhere. Yeah, I live by that mantra. We have an awful lot of doo-doo on the planet right now, so I'm looking for ponies. Anybody else looking for ponies? But, but you know what's so great about Richard Rohr, this Franciscan monk who turns the tables. He said, it's not about the box in religion. Trust me, it's about the journey. And he says, we all want to worship Jesus's journey, but you don't want to take the journey yourself. And part of Jesus's journey is you have to decide what needs to be crucified so that you can have a resurrection. What needs to die? Hi. She's smiling and waving at me. So this lovely little book, here's what Richard Rohr says. You hit bottom, and when you hit bottom, the opportunity there is to find source. So what if, he says, you do not resolve the God question in your heads or even in the perception of a moral response. So tell that to all your morally righteous people out there. You're not going to find God in a moral response. He said, no, it is resolved within you, in capital letters. When you agree to bear the mystery, it is resolved in you when you agree to bear the mystery of God as you. Whoa, you mean I've got to step into the God self? Whoa, I think that's the mystery, isn't it? God's suffering for the world and God's ecstasy within the world. Agreeing to this task, says Richard, agreeing to this task is much harder, I'm afraid, than just trying to be a good person. If you're going to open to the mystery of belonging to the universe, it's not just being a good person. It's about the willingness to meet life on life's terms. And oftentimes, we, once we start turning ourselves toward God, all the unhealed stuff starts to come up. There are the Sufis, the path that I was so exquisitely involved in on the mystic path, and they talk about the stages of this communion with the beloved. The first stage is called the tauba, the turning of the heart. You turn away from the one that wants to be in control, Maddie, all the time and wants to figure everything out. You turn away from that person and you turn toward this I don't know place, this place of infinite discovery, this mystery that says when you let go of you, well, then there's something greater that's wanting to reveal itself. Could we be curious enough and enter into a place of surprise and wonder when the universe starts preaching to us a gospel that is way beyond our mental understanding? And I think that's what Richard Rohr says. You have to feel into it. You have to give yourself to this direct experience. And then in, further on in this opening chapter of the book, he, he references Carl Jung. And Carl Jung, this wonderful psychologist, said people heal when they have a numinous experience. Now, a numinous experience is an experience of God. Now, here's Carl Jung, a psychologist, 
saying people heal, and I think he said only when they have that numinous experience, that divine something that says you are not your pathology, you are not the problem. Yes, you're going through this pathological experience right now, but that's not the truth of you. And so when that pathological problem can be met in a grateful sort of way, my friend who's a 12-stepper who lives right next door to me, he waddles over, he watches all these talks, and you don't see him in here very often, but he, he's a big fan of Joe Dispenza. So he ran over and he said, I want you to hear this thing, Joe Dispenza. And I said, okay, and then we listened to this talk of Joe Dispenza. And he talks about not living in life at, at the place where you're trying to fix everything on the outer, manipulating form. And he talks about living in a field of oneness with a grateful heart. So whatever life brings our way, we get to practice Emma Curtis Hopkins, who said, this too is good, this too is God, and I demand to see the blessing. So if we're going to live by those simple four noble truths that my prayer partner has, if it's all God, well, God's even in the resistance. God's in the trouble. God's in the betrayal. God's, God's in everything. So then when we're having a spiritual being having a human experience, could we embrace, and this is what Richard Rohr talks about. He said Jesus' example was that he was fully human. He never went around and saying, you know, oh, I'm perfect, whole, and complete, and everything is, no, no, he was vulnerable. He would, you know, he was the example of someone who could suffer consciously to die, to be born again in this greater something. So what if Jesus was the great example and his path was the example for all of us? You know, and then, and then you hear him in a different way. You know, what I do, you too shall do. We're here to forgive 70 times seven. We're here to know that if you've seen me, you've seen God. That wherever you look, there is God shining through. Well, I guess then you have to kind of get out of the way to do that, don't you? So this Sunday, I'm, I'm launching this series on the mystery by exploring the idea what's in the way is the way. Oh, gosh. Boy, did that trigger a few responses from my, my circle this morning. And I, I, I felt like I was being given the message that uh, I hadn't really worked on from so many people who acknowledged that, that they're the ones that are in the way. So when we discover that we're, we're the obstacle in our path, could we be loving and gentle enough to love that part of ourselves? So I started off by telling you it's the turning of the heart, and then the second phase in the Sufi path is the Fanav stage. That's where you have to die into the love. Now, who wants to die into the love? Richard Rohr, at the very beginning of the book, he has this little poem that's so disturbing that I love things that are disturbing um, because they really irritate people. Here's what he says. He says, spiritual truth is inherently unmarketable. Don't you like that, Phil? He says, how do you make attractive that which is not? How do you sell emptiness? How do you sell vulnerability? How do you sell non-success? You know, sometimes when everything falls apart, it's an opportunity to reconfigure and realign to a whole new sense of you. How do you market that? You mean everything's got to go? That's the Fana stage, yep. And then when you go through Fana, guess what happens? Then you go into Baka, where you're abiding in love. But what has to happen is the nattering nabob negativity has to let go so that this infinite presence that lies stretched in smiling repose can awaken. That's Emerson. He said, it is only our finite self that have, hath wrought and suffered. Simultaneously, there is this infinite presence that lies stretched in smiling repose that's empty. It's empty of thought, it's empty of story, it's empty of opinion. Whoa, that doesn't sound like a fun place to be, does it, Anastasia? 
Well, that's the place of freedom. Well, let's go see what's unmarketable here. How do you talk dissent when everything is about ascent? To descend into the darkness so that you can find the light. Descend into the contraction so you can find the breath that will lead to an expansion. So when stuff arises, you say, ah, this is here for me. Could I be vulnerable enough to meet it and embrace it on life's terms? Is there anybody out there that doesn't have a growing edge, that doesn't have contractions? Oh, so you all do too. And so when those contractions come, can you say, ah, this too is good and this too is for me? And could we meet that contraction in a different sort of way? Just asking. How can you possibly market letting go in a capitalist culture? <laughs> uh, you know, Sylvia was saying she was reading Science of Mind, and they, they have what they call a, they're trying to save money. They have, they put two magazines in one magazine. It's the first one. So this month, it's all about living out loud in love. And next month, it's the one I was so fascinated with. It's about playing with paradox, that it's all paradox. You know, less is more. You have to surrender to achieve. I mean, it's all the, the, the paradox of life. When you lose, you really win. When you let go, you're free. I mean, oh, hello. It's, it's one paradox after another. And so I'm, I'm drinking that in. How do you present Jesus to a Promethean mind? How do you talk? This is a Catholic priest. How do you talk about dying to a church who's trying to appear perfect? It was the Sadhguru that I studied with. He has so many videos on YouTube. And he had one that was particularly disturbing where he was talking about when he's at the deathbed of people and they're so terrified to death. And he said, how is it that you haven't met death in life? Because when you meet death in life, when that moment comes, when that moment comes it's not a, a fearful thing because you've already died to this false sense of self. And so what dies? Nothing. We don't die. The body dies. But what we are is an eternal spirit. Is that too big of an idea, Phil? An eternal spirit? Well, eternal means you don't go anywhere, I think. Uh, he goes on to say, this is not going to work. Admitting this might be the first step to awakening. All my efforts will get you to the first way station. That's a Sufi saying. So where are you efforting? If you're trying so hard, you won't get there. But if you open and you realize that it's always there, well, then something can happen. I just saw this little thing sitting here. I wanted to remind you that this Thursday night, Emily is going to be doing her singing bowls. And it's an opportunity to do the Joe Dispenza thing, to lie on the floor on a mat and to go into this field, this spacious field, this energetic field, and to allow whatever is unhealed to arise in that moment, to breathe into it, and with a willingness to accept the gifts that it has brought, because the gift of awareness is huge, once I let go of my self-righteous resentment, I can forgive and then I'm free. Anybody have anybody they're holding out of their heart? If you do, well, then that only hurts you. So what if in this Sunday morning, we could say what's in the way is the way, and I no longer choose to exclude them from my experience, but I invite them in so that I can see them in a new light. I can see them with soft eyes, with forgiving eyes, and I can set myself free of the prison of self-righteous resentment. You can't be free until you do. So life is this one beautiful dance that is ongoing and we don't ever get to the finish line. You figured that one out? I guess Jimmy Buffett died from Margaritaville. And so my neighbor was singing something today asking me if I wanted a margarita. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And then I had to hear that Jimmy Buffett died and we went on the whole Jimmy Buffett story. And then all of a sudden, David Copeland and everybody singing strange songs at our revealing service, songs I haven't even heard, never even heard about. 
And I guess music is the pathway to awaken something within us, if you can find the right music, that is. So in this lovely little article on paradox, um, she talks about resourcing yourself when life gives you those hurdles that aren't comfortable. And I'll give you just a taste of one of these practitioners. She says, the more quickly we become aware of our discomfort, the more quickly we can lean in and meet them with unconditional love. So when you have discomfort, when you have dis-ease, when you have reaction, instead of trying to treat it away, she says, lean into it. What are you here to show me? You know, Maddie, when we did the dark side of the light chasers, everybody had to find what is the obstacle within you? What is this addictive pattern within you, sub subjectively? And you know, you know how you know what the thing is, the obstacle within? It's the very thing that you don't want other people to do to you. And the thing that I didn't want people to do to me was to try to control me. So then I came to the realization through that wonderful Debbie Ford book, The Dark Side of the Light Chasers, which is the first book we have our ministerial students read. Because until you find the darkness, if you don't find it, it's going to repeat itself again and again. And guess what he, my addictive pattern was, Maddie? I wanted to be in control. And then I'm with my, my, my Sufi teacher up there in Rhinebeck, New York, in Omega. And I'm having one of these meltdowns, and he's asking me what's happening. And I said, I think I'm dissolving into God, and I'm crying. And, um, and then I'm, I'm kind of contracting. And he says, what's your problem? And he says, I'm, I'm afraid I'll lose control, as I'm having one of those moments of breakthrough. And he says, he thinks he has control. And then the whole room laughs. And then I went, oh, so this addiction that I had my whole life to be in control, everybody laughs at. Could I learn from that cosmic laugh? that I'm not in control. So in that one traumatic moment, I met my addictive pattern. And since then, I have no control over anything. None. You, none. This church, none. My husband, absolutely none. My pug, none. Me, eh. So going on, she says, we can recall times when we suffered severely and we could have chosen a gentler response. Once this awareness awakens, we're not so hard on ourselves. The control freak, the perfectionist in me was always hard when I would fall, when I, when I tripped and wasn't looking where I was going and I fell down the stairs and then I landed in plie, which is what a dancer would do. But then in that plie, the pain of the descent from the top step to the bottom was enough to send this pain all the way up my leg. And so I started getting angry at myself, first for falling, and second, for having pain, because I'm a dancer, a yoga teacher, I shouldn't have this. So I started saying, move through the pain, walk through the pain, until I passed out and was in the emergency room. And as fate would have it, my beloved Pam Hurdy shows up on my doorstep the next morning, and she said, she's the wise one. She said, um, radical pain, David, requires, requires radical rest, and you did the absolute opposite. You brought this on yourself by trying to work through the pain, get rid of the pain, control the pain, release the pain, and the pain got so bad it went from a two to a 10, and then I passed out. Well, that wasn't very smart, was it? Well, maybe I need to learn a little bit how to deal with myself to be a little bit gentler, as she would say right here, lean into it. We can recall times that we've suffered severely and we could have chosen a gentler response. I want you to be gentle with yourself, Miss Cindy. These life insights, she says, help us recognize there is a greater power within and the benefits of connecting to source. That's the greater power. That's that spiritual energy that we all share. Isn't it nice to know? We can turn to that. And she says, turn to that connecting source more often, in every moment. Let God be God in you. 
You're not in control. God's in control, Maddie. Whoa, that's a big idea. So, finishing this last little bit. Make a new habit of going to God first. Going to God first. Um, I wrote E-H here, Ernest Holmes. Ernest Holmes says, the very thing you're looking for, you're looking with. And you're looking at. Now, play with that beautiful, mysterious. The thing you're looking for isn't outside you. The true friend is right here. The lover that you've been looking for is right here. The God you've been looking for is not somewhere out in la-la land, up in heaven. No, it's right here. And it's right there, and it's right here. It's all God. And so that's, that's, that's the game. We're playing the God game. My friend Helen Street used to say, when she'd walk past the homeless person in the gutter, oh God, I see you in there. You can't hide from me. And she was working on her perception so that it, wherever she looked, she would see this divine presence flowering in the world. Is that too big of a, an indictment for all of us to engage in? I wonder. This self-reflection, this self-inquiry. You know, I was sharing at the revealing service my Zen calendar yesterday with Tennessee Williams. And Tennessee Williams said, life is one big unanswerable question. So could that be the obstacle that we're living with? How then shall we live, knowing that we will die? You know, and then that question is so beautiful, and it's an unanswered question, and it's meant to be that way. And then Tennessee Williams concludes, he says, never discount the dignity of a question. Each question has value. So could we live in this place where we ask ourselves, how can I live with integrity? How can I discover the source within me and all around me? When I'm identifying with the obstacles of life, when I'm identifying with the problems of life, when I'm identifying with what's in the way, well, this is in the way. Well, what if what's in the way is the way? And then you get to play with that in kind of a curious sort of way. And you know, in, in Science of Mind, when you read the Science of Mind magazine, they talk about when we do spiritual mind treatment, we do two dynamic things from the mind. We choose, and we then get to allow. So who's the chooser? Is the chooser, that little nattering nabob of negativity, the one that wails and suffers, is that the one that's choosing? Or is the chooser this infinite presence that lies stretched and smiling repose. You get to answer that question in your life. And then once you choose how you want your life to unfold, then we get to allow it to do so. Wow, doesn't that sound kind of fun? So I'm going to choose that life will be a delightful, whimsical comedy, and you'll all be co-stars in that. Or we could have it to be a very dramatic thing if you choose. But wouldn't you rather have it just to be kind of a whimsical dance? I told Phil, uh, who's a new staff minister here, that the role that I'd like to play in your life is your Anamkara. And, and, and then I had to explain to him, that's the soul friend. So what if we could be a community of Anamkaras? We meet at that soul level. where And in, and in the oversoul that Emerson speaks about, there's only one, the oversoul. So we're spiritual beings. We resonate at this field of the Atman, and then you hear Hinduism, and we are applied Hinduism. I discovered that when someone gave me all the world's religions. We're applied Hinduism. In Hinduism, they say all is Brahman, which is the one, and Atman, which is the soul. And Brahman and Atman are one. So to play in that field of oneness will, requires then that we look through the eyes of oneness. So it's not about me having a better illusion of David Leonard, but it's about me surrendering and dissolving into a felt knowing that there is life living this incarnation, and it's so much bigger than the David person. He is the face, he is the mask, he is the, um, the vehicle that I get to journey, 
in this lifetime, but there's something so much greater that's operating in all of us. And we get to play with that. We get to discover what that is. So the invitation, if you should choose to accept it this Sunday morning, is to inquire, what's in the way in my life? And could I let, let that be the way of liberation? Whatever it is, it's God coming to wake you up. Whatever it is, you get to know that. You know, I have my blind and deaf pug, and you've met him, some of you here at the center. And he is such a teacher for me because he's so compromised. He never knows where he is. He gets disoriented, and, and I just find him so sacred. He'll sit in the middle of the room and just start barking. Well, what are you going to do? Whoa, 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 I don't know where I am. Well, I just go over and I pick him up, and I set him on the chair with me. He puts his head on my lap, and he starts to snore. Well, what's in, the, what's in the way is the way. And so I pick him up in his disoriented place and I put him on my lap and, and he's in that place of... So what if our, our problems, our obstacles are just like the puck? We pick him up, we take him, we put him in our heart and we sit with him. And if you can't, if that doesn't work for you, call a friend and let them sit with you in that love. You know, we all want to be held. We all want to be loved. We're just like the puck. And could he be my great teacher? I think so. Hey, guys, come on in. It's nice to see you. I pulled out my perennial wisdom for the spiritually independent. And this is the book you asked me about that has all the world religions yeah. in it. And all that, the, the golden rule is in every single spiritual teaching on the planet. But the part I thought would be kind of fun <clears throat> this week, since it's all God, this is um, from a poem that I thought was funny. Okay, this is about God. This is it, and I am it. And you are it. And so is that. And he is it, and she is it, and it is it. <laughs> and that is that. Oh, it is this, and it is thus, and it is them, and it is now. And here it is, and here we are, and this is it. So it is. It's all that. One more time, this is it, and I am it, and you are it, and so is that. And he is it, and she is it, and it is it, and that is that. <laughs> oh, and it is this, and it is thus, and it is them, and it is us, and it is now, and it is here, and it is here, and we are this, and it is us, and so it is, and that, and that. So it's only one, one life, the perennial wisdom of the universe. This is it, and this is it. Wheresoever you look, you see the face of God. So then we don't have this illusory, something separate from us, that we have to receive its approval and its validation for us to have eternal life. No, no, no. You're doomed to eternal life. That's, that's the blessing and the curse. So if you don't get it right in this lifetime, I guess you're going to have to come around and do it over again. Anybody want to do a do-over? Well, I don't think so. I think I want to evolve into a place where I can just merge with the trees. We have this young man that just moved here from the North Desert. I didn't know if did he stay or did he leave. Oh, I think he went off with David Copeland. But he came here because he wanted to be around trees. What a, what a sane way to adapt, to be around life, because the trees, he said, just to have communion with a tree, because you're not separate from a tree. Well, what if everything is kind of like that? I'm going to, because I'm exploring the mystery, I'm going to lean heavily on the wisdom of the gardener. And he does a beautiful prayer in this little book called The Gardener. He's a Spanish poet. It's been translated into English. And um, this is a prayer for our connectedness to the mystery. And I'm gonna use that, and then we'll do a closing meditation. Or should, we, yeah. This is his chant of love, the gardener. He says, oh God, oh beloved life, 
warm breeze of light that scatters the sad greens of my soul, the groans of my soul, unfathomable love that opens the lips of my heart to a golden splendor of your sweetness. Boy, these Spanish poets are kind of on fire, aren't they? Unfathomable love that opens the lips of my heart to the golden splendor of your sweetness. You can almost feel that, can't you? That's a numinous felt experience. That's what heals us. He says, let me feel again this divine warmth of your words on my heart. You can feel your way into oneness. You can't think you're there. Let me feel again the divine warmth of your words on my heart and the soft caress of your smile before my eyes. Have you ever noticed that the whole world is smiling? It's all smiling. When I wheel the little pug in his stroller, he can't see or hear, and his teeth are all crooked, but he has this kind of crazy little crooked smile that he gives a little, and, and he can't see, but he, he can smile. Anyway, Embrace me in your arms, this is to the beloved, so that I can lose myself in your heart and there disappear in the bottomless depths of your presence, far away from the heartbreaking deception of separation, away from the pitiful cries of a discarded soul. I'm not discarded anymore. I'm loved. I'm held. I'm wanted. I'm cherished. Could we have an intimate, tantric relationship with the beloved? It's all you. Ooh, I just kind of want to hang out there, don't you? He goes on to say, oh God, this is Sufi, my love, my life. Oh God, my love, my life. What a long path that leads to your heart. How cruel the sweet wound of your calling in my soul, of your memory in everything that I see. It's called to remember God in everything that you see. Oh beloved, my soul, my life, I belong to you. And he goes on to say, oh, sweet beloved, I would like to be like the oak tree, firm in the ground, so that my feet are never weakened along our path. I would love to be patient like the olive tree, so that the new stems of life could be reborn from my old and rough soul. I would like to have the knowledge of the evergreen, the old evergreen, the one with the high branches that looks at the still dawn to know your silent paths in life. So he's using nature as an oracle, as a mute gospel. Oh, those are glasses, really. They do it. Thank you. <laughs> I would like to be generous like the almond tree, offering its flowers on the bare and the dried up bark, and enjoy the delight of the cherry tree that calls the birds in the distance so that they can come and eat of her fruit to know that we're here for each other, we're here to feed each other, we're here to hold each other, to support each other. If we can see it in nature, it's because it's awakening within us. He goes on to say, the gardener, I would like to have the singing voice of the poplar tree and the gratefulness of the birch tree that raises its white hands to the heavens so that it can keep singing in tune to your praises, O beloved. I would like to be humble like the violets and pure like the beautiful roses. Well, I think he's having a tantric experience in his garden, don't you think, Miss Cindy? I would like to be humble like the violets and pure like the roses. I would like to be simple like the daisies and fertile like a field of wheat so that I could cover this earth with the light of your love. So that I could cover this earth with the light of your love. 
But here's the gardener accepting reality, accepting what's in the way, is that he's a human being. And so here's what he says. Ah, but it was your will, beloved, that I should be a simple man. And as I cannot now aspire to be more than what you wanted for me, please teach me at least to accept myself as the simple human being that I am. With all of her, his foibles, I added that. The human being that I am, and let me embrace myself at your feet as the ivy embraces the oak's trunk so that I can immerse myself in the jasmine scent of your presence. So that I can emerge myself in the jasmine scent of your presence. And then I added, and then let your fragrance fill my heart as it blossoms in the garden of love, revealing itself to itself. Rumi says, if the beloved is everywhere, and it is, well, the lover is the veil. And you and I get to play the role of the lover. But when we take the role, the veil of me off, then all that's left is the beloved. So he's inviting us to see this intimate relationship we have to source. Um, should we do a little quick uh, uh, passing on the plate, Gigi and Raul, and then uh, we'll ring the bell and I'll do a closing meditation with some soft music. Ah, Encore, thank you. Oh, we have Breaking Bread this Sunday. So if you'll stick around, we've got some delightful foods. I brought my carrot cake and um, Susan made her wonderful. Were you just waiting? Okay. <laughs> Hi, beautiful. Okay. So thank you. We're ready when you are. And Raul, whenever you want to, we'll let him play some of this beautiful music, and then we'll ring the bell and I'll play So allow the music to entrain your heart to that field that Joe Dispenza spoke about, that field of love, the music of the spheres, the universe, the one song. So we let go of that which no longer serves us. And as we let go, we are healed, we are made whole. And as we let go, and as we let go, one breath at a time, through that dynamic, we can let God then be God in us. We can let peace 
be peace within us. And then we offer this peace to the world. You can discover that there is the deepest acceptance at the soul level, accepting life as the great teacher. And in this deepest acceptance, we allow whatever life brings to us to be an opportunity for mindful living. And we touch it with awareness. We touch it in a strange sort of way with gratitude. Because when we are grateful for what life is showing us, even though it might be painful sometimes, that gratitude is the doorway for transformation. And this is a transformational teaching. Be ye renewed or restored by the renewing of your mind. Be ye revealed and revitalized by the willingness to let go of who we thought we were to discover something so much more mysterious, shall we say. Because we've thrown ourselves into the great mystery of life. And the mystery of life is now living our life. And so we sit at the tree like the gardener did and we entrain ourselves to the wisdom that's all around us, to the beloved that's all around us. The beloved has never stopped speaking, but it speaks a language of the soul. And so we have to enter into our soul to hear this language. And so we come here on Sundays have a numinous experience, to touch the divine that's always touching us with every breath, with every smile, with every felt awareness. It is kind of like an, ah, so, so this is what life is showing. And with the grateful heart, we take the next step, knowing that the miracle is to walk on earth where every step is a blessing and every moment is an opportunity. To go home, only to realize that we've already arrived right here in the sacred now. And so the past dissolves and all the story around the past, the future fantasy dissolves. And we find ourselves once again here in this sacred moment of now. We observe the silence, which is the language of God. And we listen. In the silence there is peace. In the silence there is unspoken joy. In the silence there is release from a world filled with chaos. And so we restore ourselves by becoming still, by embracing life on life's terms. And whatever life presents to us, we say, well, what's in the way is the way. Just like picking up a frightened little pug who's disoriented, by picking up that part of us that's frightened and disoriented and holding it, well, guess what? We restore ourselves to balance yet again. Divine love, Ernest Holmes said, brings together and maintains together in harmony and balance those who belong together. So I guess divine love's in charge, and it brought us here, and it's maintaining us here.
because I guess we belong together. How rejoicing is my soul to find that this little puppy has a pack that he belongs to. This is the wisdom of the Sangha, the spiritual community, and we drink from the depths of the Sangha this Sunday. With gratitude, with playfulness and curiosity, we embrace this life as it unfolds in its mysterious, wondrous ways. And let's say together, and so it is. My beloved Pam Hurdy's in the back, and she's going to be doing a workshop uh, the last Saturday of this month to launch us into uh, a seasonal change. Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. She's, she's a master teacher. She's just filled with light and love. So I want you to drink from that well over there. It's pretty magical. So thank you all. And uh, well, breaking bread, does somebody want to go and uh, put the carrot cake out? Oh, should we do the circle song? I forgot. I was... Let's do the circle song. listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.cslhuntsville.org.